sweet Christmas. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. edition of the Geek Confidential Podcast. The whole crew is here with me. Joining me, Melody Akles. Welcome, Mel. Hey, hey. Dan Pierce, welcome. How's it going? And Mo Walker, welcome. Hi, everybody. Before we dive into Luke Cage, I just wanted to go around the circle real quick and see if there was anything other than Luke Cage that you guys were geeking out about. Dan, did you have anything else that really got you excited this last week in the world of geekdom? Uh, excited, but in a bad way. Uh, we we should probably bring up what we brought up in the last episode, which is the cancellation of Timeless. Uh, we were pretty big proponents on this podcast of Timeless, and for it to be canceled and canceled the way it was, and just waiting six weeks for a decision, and also the finale being you know, preempted a little bit by Baby Junior or Nerd Junior, like Bright Junior. I don't know. Neil Patrick Harris did a sturdy on that. I, or maybe it was the golf. I don't know. NBC really just screwed everything up. Um, but needless to say, I was very mad, very upset. And I guess that's about as ex- like emotionally elicited uh, geek related thing. That happened within the week. Okay. Not necessarily something that you're geeking out over, but it is something of import. Uh, Mo, anything that you were geeking out over this week? Actually, there were were a couple of things. One is the upcoming Batman-Catwoman nuptials in DC Comics 50th issue of Batman, which is supposed to go on sale uh, the 4th of July, which is... uh, and actually, there is a supposedly a midnight release for this on um, the night of July 3rd going into July 4th. So I'm really, really looking forward to that special issue of, of Batman. Um, I've been enjoying the, the current volume of Batman, which is written by a gentleman named Tom, um, Tom King. He was recently on Late Night with Seth Meyers talking about Batman and some other upcoming comic book projects that he's working on i'm also excited about the upcoming return of my one of my favorite uh science fiction summer science fiction shows which is killjoys which will be on sci-fi the first episode will start on july 20th i saw a trailer for that really really excited about that um the um and and i'm also well and this ties into killjoys the uh star of um Killjoys, and, and uh, uh, Hannah John um, Kamen, she's going to be uh, featured in the upcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp film as well. So a lot, a lot of other things that I'm geeking out about besides Cage. Okay. Mel? Um, I definitely agree with everything Dan said about Timeless, but I finally saw The Incredibles 2 this week, and it was so good, y'all. Y- Y'all don't understand, been waiting 14 years for this, so to finally see it. You were only it did 13 not when the first one came out, right? 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. 13 or so. Maybe 14. Not the point. Um, I was so excited to see the second one. It was so good. Little Jack-Jack is the star of it. I don't care what anyone says. So, so good. If y'all liked the first one, please do yourself a favor. Go see the second one. Fantastic. I have two honorable mentions. One is sort of a delayed. I've been doing a lot of catching up on some things. And so um, I want to give a shout out to Justice League Dark, the animated movie uh, where you have Batman and Constantine um, and several other wonderful characters. I really enjoyed it. But the thing that just won my heart, I don't know if any of you guys play Overwatch or not, but a new character was uh, announced for Overwatch called Wrecking Ball, and it's a little hamster who who mans a tank, like a robotics tank, That's and he is adorable. It looks like it's going to be a really fun character to play, but the best part of it was... Someone took the character and did it to the Miley Cyrus Wrecking Ball as a like an animated meme, and it was hilarious. So I'm very excited to see what happens in Overwatch. Now that we've got those out of the way, let's talk a little bit about Luke Cage. Luke Cage Season 2 premiered on Netflix. Um, I have to admit, I was pretty concerned because after Iron Fist being terrible, the Defenders being mediocre... Jessica Jones being a flop, or Jessica Jones season two being a flop, I was like, what in the world is going to happen with Luke Cage? And for me, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Going around the circle, um, let's see what everybody's quick take is on it before we dive into things. I know we talked about um, Alfred Woodard's character a lot on the Performer of the Week episode, so other than her, what's your quick take, Dan? I loved every second of the the series. I got to admit there are certain parts that like I I I don't necessarily think they they did right by Claire like the way, the way what what was going on, but I do really enjoy the the series as a whole. A lot of great villains, a lot of great like Luke is a fantastic hero. The shades of gray in between um Misty kind of being in the middle of all of this too and learning to kind of cope with first having no arm and then the the robotic arm uh, that she eventually gets. This journey, it really, it's a series that isn't afraid to embrace what happened in The Defenders. And that's saying something because Jessica Jones like acted as if it never happened. Uh, So for that... And for like the development of the relationship between Luke and Danny and sort of redeeming Danny a little bit, like bit by bit, it's slow, but it, it continues. And I'm liking the direction that it's going in um, and liking the direction of how Mike Coulter and Finn Jones act on screen opposite one another. And overall, it was just a fun time. It was intense. It was well written, well executed, well shot, well choreographed. And I highly recommend it. Mo, um, how many episodes did you get watched? And what's your quick take on the ones that you've watched? I've gotten through nine of the nine of the episodes. And it feels like the Marvel Marvel-est of the Marvel 
Netflix shows, I feel to date, because it, as Dan said, it does a very good job of acknowledging the events of Iron Fist and the Defenders and making it in a way in which, you know, you can take in that information. You can, you can, it, it does a nice way integrating like characters like Foggy when they're useful. Foggy, Foggy Nelson from Daredevil. I mean, along with uh, Colleen Wing, of course, and we know that, uh, even I know that Danny is coming, even though I haven't seen the Danny episode yet. And when a Marvel show, when a, when a Marvel, I think Marvel shows excel when they utilize other components from the Marvel, from Marvel Comics, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or from the Marvel Netflix uh, universe. And, and it really shows. The other thing is, is that the show does a wonderful job of making you feel like you are in Harlem. It has, it's very good about creating a great atmosphere. Mel, how many episodes have you watched and what are your, what's your quick take on it overall? I am about five episodes in and I'm really enjoying it. I think this season has a little bit of a different feel than the first season because season one, we're kind of just trying to get to know him and Luke knew he had these powers and he wasn't sure if he wants to use them for good. Whereas in this season, he knows what he's doing. He's going for the bad guys. He's got some residual anger um, from everything that happened with his father in the past and in season one. So you kind of see him dealing with that. There's also Mariah Stokes, who has completely taken over Cottonmouth's um, operation he had, and she's doing it her way. Like, this is Burger King, honeys, okay? And it is fantastic. Uh, we have a few new villains in there. We have Bushmaster and the Jamaicans, and I think everything is very well rounded in this series. You know, you get a little bit of happy, you get some sad, you get lots of action. Um, the kid who is Luke Cage's like social media manager, I'm going to call him, who follows him around is always there. He cracks me up. I feel like that's a good, you know, comedic touch for the series. But so far I'm really enjoying what's going on. I definitely want to see everything else that's going on. It's not like, my feelings for Jessica Jones, where I was just struggling the whole season to get through it. Cannot wait to watch more, but I like what they have going on. For me, season two of Luke Cage is better than season one. I felt like season one was beautiful from a cinematography standpoint. It was great from an acting and performance standpoint, but I felt like it was a little bit slow in certain parts. For me, season two was consistently steady in terms of movement it had the same wonderful cinematography it had the same great acting but it the pacing for me i i liked the pacing i've heard some complaints about from people about it still being a little bit slow but for me i really enjoyed it um now granted i'm not from jamaica could be as far from that as possible i've heard um some people including one of my co-hosts on daytime confidential comment about the jamaican accents that is not my expertise so i cannot speak to the authenticity of it i'll just point out as one of the little things it, apparently the jamaican accents aren't that great if you're not if you're from jamaica but I actually really enjoyed this season. I was going through the list of seasons and thinking about where this would rank. And for me, Daredevil season one, followed by Luke Cage season two, 
Jessica Jones season one and then Luke Cage season one. Um, that's would be my top four. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what everyone's thoughts on it. Basically, this season picked up where the other one left off. Misty is dealing with the loss of her or the loss of her arm from in the Defenders. Um, Luke is dealing with the fact that there is crime on the streets and he is sort of Im more embracing his responsibility as a superhero, but also dealing with the realities of not having money. And so we get a little bit of that superhero for for higher element. Alfre Woodard's character, Mariah Dillard, is trying to go legit. That's the major through line of this storyline. She is trying to take and create this um, community center that will provide medical care and provide um, single mothers and various other people in need with services and how this is going to be her legacy. In order to do that, she needs to get out of the arms business. So she's going and so what she wants to do is use the sale of the arms business to um, fund an insider trading deal that would net her three quarters to half a billion dollars, depending on how it goes. And, and she would then use that money to fund the center and go completely legit. So that sort of kicks off where we're at in the season. Pretty much all the major players who did, weren't killed off in season one are back. Um, Shades is back. Um, we have the, the detectives, Sugar, Sean Ringgold from One Life to Live, who most of us on this podcast. Big Sean! Are, right, he's back. He has a he has a fun love him. Fun uh, role. Uh, he continues to have a good role in the the series. Uh, we also had Finn Jones return um, team up as Dan touched on earlier. He shows up in later episodes. I don't quite feel their chemistry the same way that Dan did, but we'll get to that a little bit more later. Claire has also been mentioned. Claire is back. And uh, as Dan pointed out on this one, they sort of do the character, the dirty. It was almost like if I was watching soaps and I thought, and, and I was thinking to myself, okay, there's an episode guarantee. I felt like her episode guarantee was used up by episode six. And after that, you don't see her anymore. So Luke, I was gonna say something about that because um, I under I, th I wonder if they had to write her out because Rosario Dawson also is on Jane has has a role on Jane the Virgin now, and she was also up for that New Mutants movie that Fox is doing, but she had to bow out of that due to um, contract. Well, she just didn't have time to do that New Mutants movie. So I'm wondering if they wrote her out or the way or it, put her in the box because of her commitment to um, to uh, Jane the Virgin. It's entirely possible that that's true. I'm not discounting she, that. I just think that if you're the night nurse and show up in Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, I mean, if you're showing up in all these shows, it, it seems really weird if you show up in the first half and then just completely disappear to the point but, where like even in the finale she showed supposedly showed up but he wouldn't see her but look you listen to what you just said look at looks and how many shows we have discussed that she's in just her this is at least six plus shows that she's in and they wanted her to do another one she had to turn it down girl is working she is working hard for that dollar so i understand that you can only work so many episodes now granted I, you know story wise it's a little wonky i could see that but she could only do so much 
Oh, I, I completely I, agree. I, I just think that like from the way the story is told, it it it's sort of abrupt. I I I agree that it's abrupt, but I also agree with Mel. Uh, she also did uh, several uh, appearances at conventions and stuff like that, discussing. She how... needs a vacation. That's what I'm hearing. Like. Yeah, yeah. Discussing how she kind of wants to step away a little bit from the role because the. I mean, this is a lot. This is this is a lot, and she, you know, she's a great actress. She is super active, uh, both from like an acting standpoint, socially, politically. And she is devoting her time to all of these different causes and roles and jobs and stuff like that. I, I, yeah, I feel like the vacation uh, is very necessary and maybe stepping away from like a full commitment as opposed to an, you know, a given episode count would be beneficial for her. And, and, and can I say, cause remember we also kind of had the same situation with Bobby Fish, played by Ron Cephas Jones. Now, remember, he's also in This Is Us. And because there was, a, remember, there was an episode mm-hmm. in which Shades and Comanche were joking about This Is Us. So right. I, I think I think it's, we're, we're, it's about shooting schedules. And I think for some of these characters who are supporting characters, we love them. We think, I think that they, like, uh, they round out the universe and they add something to the story. But... You know, at the end of the day, you know, they may have an agreement on a different network. And if the schedule, if the shooting schedule doesn't line up, you know, unfortunately, you just got to do what they did in the soaps and and just, you know, give them a fast exit, even though it's a little wonky. Yeah, they sort of did that also uh, in Luke Cage. If you like blink, if you miss it, they mentioned Karen Page broke some story or something, but we never actually saw Karen on screen. You know, it, they they do play fast and loose on that end. So I'm wondering if they might be able to do that with Claire moving forward if they aren't able to get Rosario Dawson in. OK, so let's talk a little bit about um, the rest of the season. What were the best moments for you um, for the season overall, Dan? Well, I I. I have a hard time saying it without spoiling what happens because the end of episode 10 is just so devastating inside, inside of Gwen's. So uh, go go ahead, go ahead and do it. uh, People who listen to this podcast know that we don't skimp on the spoilers. Okay. 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 Um, So this is the episode where Danny Rand came back and as Danny and Luke are shutting down a local, um, like, uh, grow house, so, shall we say for yeah, nightshade. A local, uh, grow house, greenhouse that, uh, was growing nightshade, despite the fact that they didn't have the soil of Jamaica and there, there, there's just a little bit of holes in that store in that part of the story. But so Mariah and shades kidnapped, um, uh, Bushmaster's uncle and they bring him along with the crew to Gwen's the uh, Jamaican restaurant and Mariah begins to shoot up the restaurant and it it it's so devastating and bloody and just very very visually graphic you know the way that she goes about shooting uh, Stephanie is really hard to watch because, you know, she 
she betrayed Mariah, you know, she was her Billy and she still betrayed her, you know, but the way she goes about killing Bushmaster's uncle by pouring all of the Bushmaster rum on this man, lighting him on fire and then deciding that, no, he hasn't died quickly enough. I'm getting out my revolver and I am putting bullets in him. I was like, Oh god and you see it on Shades' face. That's like the moment where he stops being Shades and he's back to being Hernan. Because he It's where he, he lo- it's where he gets his humanity back. Yeah, he gets his humanity back. He decides this like she's taking it too far. She's broken every code in like the illegal gangster uh handbook. This is not the way things are done. She you didn't know. listen to him. She, he wanted to give her the opportunity to get out. She didn't take it. Yeah, all all she had to do was either sell the painting or sign over the club to him. That's all she needed to do, and she wouldn't do either of those things. And now look where they are. I'm getting out. I need to figure out a different option. Uh, but needless to say, that moment was uh, a game changer. And... You know, for me personally, I I spent a little bit of time in Jamaica and I, I really got a chance to appreciate the culture and stuff like that. So seeing w- when they had the scenes beforehand in Gwen's with like this lively community that really seemed to know each other and have each other's backs. And I, I was I was really appreciative of it. So to see Mariah go about taking all of that stuff away, it was super devastating. And I I was not like. I was like, oh my gosh, there's no redemptive qualities in her anymore, especially after the way she treated her daughter early on. You know, Tilda was devastated. Well, uh, and not only was it early on, but later in the season where they are at the Rand, I believe it's at Rand, where, yeah, it's she, at Rand. Bas- where she tells Tilda, like reveals the truth about Tilda's paternity and then is like, I've never loved you. It's unbelievably powerful. And Gabrielle Dennis, um, as Tilda, does an amazing job reacting to everything that Alfred Woodard is throwing at her. Uh, Mo, what were your best moments of the season that you've watched thus far? Well, to me, uh, probably a lot of it involves Misty Knight. And And I particularly like the fact that there's this whole arc involving a uh, hand, well, to, to for better to a, a disabled um, person, you know, and how um, the character of Misty Knight regains her mobility and her sense of duty and purpose, and kind of that instinct that she had, that fight, that instinct she had that made her a great cop in season one of uh, Luke Cage and. Her ability, you know, it shows that she's willing to make the sacrifice and make the tough calls and to be a hero, even though she really doesn't have these innate superpowers um, that, that what we saw of her in, in Defenders, with, which led to her getting her arm caught off. I love to see the I've loved I loved seeing the progression, how she uh, she gets the bionic arm from from Rand and that she's having trouble adjusting to it. And then. You know, by episode, I believe it's 
seven. Uh, she's she's just whooping ass with Luke Cage, and um, it's great. I mean, it's it, it just shows that you know she is not. This this show is not just about Luke Cage. It's an ensemble drama, and that you know Misty Knight can hold her own just as well as Luke Cage, just as well as Shades or some of the other characters. That she is not helpless. That um, she can hold her own. Mel, what were the high points for you um, of the season thus far that you've watched? Um, I loved Luke Cage going in there and beating up the guy who was beating up his wife and the little boy. I thought that was a great scene. I really enjoyed Misty Knight getting into that bar fight and kicking everybody's ass in the bar with one arm. Yes. That was amazing. I was like, okay, girl, all right, you get it. Um, and I kind of really have grown to enjoy the scenes where Luke goes back to the barbershop and he always has a conversation with Bobby Fish, Ron Cephas' Jones character, because there's always some kind of, you know, important lesson he learns or it's always, you know, pertinent information. And it's also kind of a way for the series to slow down. Um, so I think those are very important as well, but those are kind of the ones that are sticking out to me right now. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about Misty because she is an integral part to the show almost as much as Luke Cage. This season, we got to see her not only dealing with her, um, recent disability, which she's trying to overcome, but she's also dealing with the aftermath of her partner being a, um, dirty cop. The fact that she is at one point considering planting evidence herself in the meantime her superior ends up getting shot and the interim who comes in is um basically lets her know that she is in in contention to become the head of the department if she plays her cards right it's definitely a very an arc of growth for misty both personally and professionally mo what did you think Again, as, as I mentioned previously, this show, it's an ensemble show. I feel like, and I'm, I'm going to draw from some of the, a lot of the DC shows, the Berlantiverse shows, uh, and how they have, uh, they've turned those into ensemble shows, you know, where it's, it's Supergirl and, you know, Monel and whoever. Luke Cage does it right. I mean, you know, we don't feel like Misty Knight doesn't detract from the show. She adds to the show. And again, just with my background and, and, and knowledge of the comics, I think it, it's a very, uh, very natural transition to kind of take uh, Misty out of, of Luke Cage, give her her own spinoff show featuring with Colleen Wing, the Daughters of the, Daughters of the Dragon, um, their guns for hire or detectives or whatever, um, they could very easily do something like that. I think the the actress, uh, Simone Mizik, she does a great job in the scenes in which she has only one arm because you can tell you can tell the scenes in which she, how she's getting used to using the robot arm. It doesn't feel natural to her. And how how she reacts when she's doing small things, for instance, like trying initially trying to open up filing cabinets or just trying to grab things, you know, how how, you know, in, in some ways, you know, not having 
a hand or an arm, you know, you're, you're suffering from a phantom limb and you're trying to do the things that you used to do so that you have to adjust. And so there's a lot of great acting involved into that. And, 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 and it made me believe that, you know, she, she's a disabled person, even though, you know, we, we've seen, we saw her in the previous season and the defenders having, having two arms. She did some great work, some great acting. And I commend, I commend the actress for that. Mel? Um, I agree. I really felt like you saw Misty's struggle. I mean, all written over her face and definitely in all of her actions. I mean, at one point she's working in the police station and everyone's kind of staring at her. You know, they got one eye on their work and one eye on her and she stops and she's like, okay, look, I have one arm. Can we please get over it? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not really and she's not really over it. And I thought that was so interesting. And like uh, Mo was saying, she struggles from phantom limb because in the scene where she kicks everybody's butt and uh, in the bar scene, she tries to swing with her one arm that she doesn't have anymore. And she's like, oh, crap, what am I going to do with this? And it's just it's really great to see her do it and, and see her strength. And like Mo said, the actress does a fantastic job in the show cannot wait to see more from her um during this season but everything i've seen so far has been excellent dan she is so talented like for real the the actress uh simone missick goes about the the whole phantom limb experience with portraying the toughness of the situation and how just emotionally draining it can get. Um, and then when she finally sees the note on, um, on her desk with the plans and stuff like that, because she had been rejecting and not avoiding Danny's calls and like rejecting Danny and Colleen's help and stuff like that. But she did, she didn't seem to know what their plan was other than to like just be there for her. Whereas no, we're replacing your arm. Okay. Um, but once then that starts happening, tasks like Mo had talked about where like pouring coffee or grabbing a filing cabinet or whatever it might be are something that she has to transition to, um, while using this new part of her body, you know, it's not something that it, it it's not something you learn right away because, you know, it takes time, it takes rehabilitation, it takes practice. And we see her go through all of the phases of that and eventually get to the point where she can fight alongside Luke and hold her own and put away, you know, corrupt detectives and, just take like get into these fights with Bushmaster or with whomever um, on her own merit and God bless her for it because she's so good and so talented that I would be super ecstatic for a Daughters of the Dragon team up with her and Colleen Wing series uh, because they are both so good and so awesome so yeah Let's talk a little bit about Bushmaster. Um, in addition to Alfrey Woodard's Mariah Dillard being the primary villain, he was almost equally, though secondary, in his role. Uh, Mustafa Shakir uh, played John Bushmaster McIver. 
he um it turns out that his character <clears throat> as a child watched his mother be burned alive by Mariah's grandmother um at the after the reading of the will because his family had a claim to the Stokes business in New in Harlem that Mariah ends up inheriting. So his revenge, his whole plot line is about fattening up Mariah, getting her to the zenith of her power, and then destroying her because of what happened in part to his mother, to his family, and to his family's legacy. I thought that he did a fantastic job as the villain this season. Um, he was very compelling, very unexpected. He provided a, an immense amount of nuance to uh, his revenge, but at the same time we saw Bushmaster opposite of Tilda, and those scenes were a whole different side of him, where he's like, I, he's threatening her to need to give him help, but as the series, as the season progresses, he ends up, they sort of end up having not necessarily a connection, but a sort of respect because she, uh, along the way, learns what how truly awful her mother is. What did you guys think? of Bushmaster Mel I definitely think he's gonna he's a a little bit of a different type of villain I mean you could definitely tell that he's the bad guy and in the beginning you know he's saying I can't stand Luke Cage he gets on his my nerves and I think it's his uncle he's talking to and he's like why do you have a problem with it he's not bothering you and he's like I just don't like him okay so I think that's a little bit of was an interesting way to introduce them to say, hey, I don't like him just to like him, just to not like him. So, and then you have, you see in the beginning as well that he's, you know, giving himself the nightshade and that's how he's getting the strength and, you know, trying to be bulletproof like Luke Cage, but it's not quite there. So I always kind of see him as a villain with an insecurity and a little bit of a weakness too. So you know that, you know, if it ever wears off during a fight or something happens, he's done. He's toast. So I like him. I think the actor does a great job. I, I don't know too much about Jamaican accents either. I mean, it sounded okay to me, but if someone is, you know, who knows about him saying it's not genuine, then hey, what do I know? But, um, I do like the villain this season. I want to see more about him. I don't know exactly what happened to um, the other villain. Wait, what's his name? Diamondback. Because he was in the very beginning, and then we didn't see him anymore. So, I don't know. But as for Wishmaster, I like it. Mo? Well, I, I'm glad that they really did a good job of differentiating Bushmaster from his comic book version. With little I know about the comic book version, his powers, the, the process that he, he underwent in order to get his powers in the comics is very similar to what Luke Cage did. So the fact that they're going, using, utilizing Nightshade and, um, and the fact, you know, more or less coming up with some sort of super uh, metaphysical and uh, supernatural, I wouldn't even say supernatural, but, you know, uh, super soldier serum-esque type route in terms of giving him his abilities is a great contrast to the way in which uh, Luke Cage got his abilities. It's this kind of science versus nature dynamic that they set up with the two. I think um, how uh, the actor handles himself, again, I'm, I don't know much about Jamaican accents. Um, I haven't asked anybody I know who's Jamaican, how they feel about the accents in the show. Um, 
Again, and I see, like... and that's the one thing I should caveat. I don't know if it was him specifically or if it was just the like the like restaurant scenes where there's a whole bunch of people speaking in with Jamaican accents and those are the ones. I just know that I've heard a number of Oh, I've heard be it. Like... It's all over Twitter, so. Right, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like in terms of, you know, differentiating himself from Bushmaster from Cottonmouth and Diamondback, um, he does a really good job. We understand. I mean, I really and I really we understand his motives for why he wa- he wants revenge on the Stalks, as he as he likes to keep said Stalks, um, not Dillard, and throughout the the uh, the series. And and, and so um, I, I think it's a it's a this in, very interesting scene in which he said he says to uh, Luke Cage when they're fighting on the bridge. He says, you know. Um, in a different, in a different, under a different set of circumstances, you and I could be allies, could be brothers. And I think it, it's kind of interesting that we're going back to that notion of here's somebody who has similar, a similar esque power set, uh, who in some respects, you know, he's going after Mariah. Uh, there, there are sets of circumstances in which you know you, you in theory could see where the, the two could join forces, but McIver's methods are just too dark for Luke Cage. He understands why, you know, he understands that anger and the revenge and wanting to uh, get back what was taken from his family. He, Luke Cage understands that, but he, what he has a problem with is his methodology. He doesn't need to go around cutting up people's heads and so forth in order to get back what is his. Dan, what do so, you think? Uh, I I really enjoyed him. I thought he provided a, a nice sh- uh, shade of gray to the story, um, just in terms of how he went about being a villain and then eventually connecting with Tilda and Luke on different levels and stuff like that. And the idea that he operates by a code and that acts of kindness for him personally aren't uh, forgotten. Um and that that's something that we see later on um, as Luke goes and protects his aunt. It's marrying this idea of revenge and compassion for others and doing things for the right reasons, even though they're like wrong things for the right reasons kind of stuff. Um, and we see that a lot through Bushmaster. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I've only been to Jamaica once. I didn't stay for a very long time and don't have like all of the knowledge or cultural um, knowledge regarding the accents. But I do understand that if there is an issue, it probably should be addressed. Same thing goes for the controversy surrounding the uh, Netflix captions that is not a good situation for Netflix to be in for doing stuff like that. That's that's wrong. Um, I guess I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. Um. So Netflix went about correcting the grammar with like they didn't translate it word for word. Um. When the Jamaican characters were talking, they would correct the grammar or do like a different um vernacular they would go about correcting it to reflect like our, like, uh, like a, a more Americanized. 
Americanized sense of grammar. It, it's pretty culturally insensitive for them to do so. I, I, I would think like there, there's a lot of questions and concerns regarding that. Um, that's it's a very, very difficult situation. And Netflix should definitely look into apologizing soon uh, because they messed up. Um, however, yeah, no, Bushmaster was fa- like he was super fantastic. I really liked his friend. Uh, I don't remember the the character's name or the actor, but he was he was super good and he was super like noble and had like this good dynamic with Tilda and it was it was really great to see him uh, taking care of uh, John the whole season and stuff like that, kind of watching over his back and stuff, I and supporting his cause. I really like that. I, I believe um, Bushmaster. You're referring to Bushmaster's friend Sheldon. Yes, he's he's, he's played by uh, Kevin uh, Monbo, and you know, just looking on his IDM, uh, IMDb page, you know, he's one of those actors you see in a lot of things, and so he just looked very familiar to me when I saw him, and I just kept trying to figure out from where. Um, I know he was on God and Light for a minute, and literally for a minute, but you know, I'm sure and. Just he's just been around, but I believe that's who you're referring to. Let's talk about a little bit about Luke Cage himself. Um, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but let's dive into it a bit more. This is a character who's coming into his own on the streets or is already very firmly on his own after season one of Luke Cage and um, season one of The Defenders. Uh, we got to see him struggle a little bit with his finances, we got to see him struggle with the first Mariah at another point, the vacuum of what happens when Mariah isn't um, set, doesn't have the wall protecting around Harlem or the wall around Harlem, protecting it that Mariah had in place to prevent crime. And by the end of the the season, he is now in charge of or owns her club. She left it to him in her will. And he is now faced with his creating his own wall around Harlem. We saw the groundwork laid for possibly a season three with the Italian mafia. He cut a deal with the Italian uh, mob boss late in the season before Mariah passed away. And now he owns the club. It ends. He and Misty Knight are sort of in an awkward spot. Claire is MIA and it's very interesting. It's almost as if he's um, becoming a king unto himself. And when you're on the throne, it's a very lonely existence. That's sort of the element that I got when this, by the time the season ended. Dan, having watched the entire season, what were your thoughts on his arc, what, where it ended, and what you think they set up? Uh, I really, I really enjoyed his arc. I wasn't super into the dad stuff, but overall, I really like it served its purpose in uh, helping Luke like deal with the morality of some of the decisions that he's going to have to make and that Harlem needs him to make uh, because that's sort of a balancing act, whereas he wants to be the best guy he possibly can. But in order for Harlem to stay at its safest, he may need to make some tougher calls. Um, I, you know, we, we talked about the Claire stuff, and it's 
it's it's not a good look for Luke. Um, it's really not. They don't they don't necessarily uh, do him a good service in this regard, but it's sort of part of his journey to kind of having to balance all of these things. Um, so we'll see. And it yeah, there is that awkward situation with Misty. And I think Misty is incredibly concerned about all of this because she knows that anything bad going around Harlem runs through Harlem's paradise and for Luke to be in charge of it and, you know, having these secret conversations with Sugar, it's it's just not it's not where you want to be, you know. It's uh that she she expects more from Luke and better from Luke than that. And for him to be disappointing her in this way, it it's probably going to affect their relationship moving forward. And I would be very much interested in seeing how that all unfolds, especially with the nuance of Luke possibly appearing in the next season of Iron Fist. You know, bringing it up into Danny's world how would how will Luke, as this protector of the Wall of Harlem, come into play on you know the Upper East Side? You know these are these are some interesting dynamics unfolding within the confines of like society, New York culture, just all of these different elements that I'm really excited for them to explore moving forward. Mo, one of the things that I thought was interesting about it is the fact that, as Dan pointed out, Misty and his relationship, like she's expecting more from him. And I sort of feel like I mentioned earlier, the throne is very lonely. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, well, where does this leave us for the future? Because we've seen him and Jessica Jones together in the defenders if it's my understanding from the comics that they end up having a child together in the comics but i'm curious if you've read the comics uh what his history is in terms of running harlem or if this is something that they're doing outside of the comics and if so does he ever go to a place where he ends up being a little bit more dark and evil well I, from my recollection, from my knowledge of Luke Cage comics, uh, which I'll be honest with you, I haven't read every Luke Cage comic ever, ever printed or ever, I mean, excuse me, published. There are, so there have been periods, and there was actually a recent period during a Marvel Comics event in which Luke Cage's personality was inverted. And so... He he started dressing in these suits. He he started. It very much sounds like a lot of what you all were des are describing. He's kind of consolidating power. Um, he he feels more of a kingpin esque type character. So they could be borrowing doing a loose adaptation of that material, but. Um, Again, I haven't seen the finale to tell you how much of the hallmarks or that are, are embedded. I do know that the the show's creator is a fan of Marvel Comics and is is very familiar. Um, he, I've I've listened to him on a, on a couple on a podcast in which he he referenced a lot of he talked about a lot of the older comics. Um, 
especially the stuff that was um, the Luke Cage, uh, Iron Fist team up um, stories and so forth. So he could be draw. I think he'll be drawing for some inspiration from from those books as well. I do feel like this is a perfect segue into bringing Jessica Jones on onto onto the stage. If Claire's out, you know, if Rosario Dawson really wants to limit um, her time her time in the Marvel Netflix universe. You know, you can slide Jessica in there. But again, I think a lot of this legwork will have to be done just to kind of get Jessica into a place in which she can, you know, be with Luke or try to have some sort of relationship with him. They'll have to start that that process in the third season of Jessica Jones. And the groundwork could have already been laid for some of this had they done the work in Jessica Jones season two, which, again, you know, makes the case for why that was just a waste. That was just a pure waste of a season. But. It'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm very, I'm very curious. And, and I just want to add, you know, Daredevil actually, ironically, did ha- in the comics did a similar storyline um, where he consolidates all this power. He becomes um, in charge of the hand. It was doing this crossover called Shadowlands, um, and so it, it, it sounds like there's some kind of elements of that as well with Luke becoming a quote unquote some sort of kingpin esque type character. Um, but we'll see. we'll see. Mel, what were your thoughts on Luke's arc as you've seen it thus far? Um, you definitely see who he used to be, who he is now, and maybe who he wants to be, but he's not sure if he can get there. You know, I see that he wants to do the right thing by people, but he's got a lot of baggage that he hasn't dealt with yet that's coming out. And he doesn't quite know how to deal with it. And he's trying to compartmentalize it and he can't because, you know, he's this larger than life figure. And you kind of see him dealing with fame. You know, there's this app that tells you where is Luke Cage at all times. So someone always knows where he is, which could be detrimental to his uh, whole operation and villains and things like that. And he has this new villain come about, Night, not Nightshade, Bush master who has the same power as him as him and he doesn't quite know what to do how to deal with it that's where i am in the season so i i think it's a interesting take on the character and you know hearing more about what's coming uh later on in the season i'm like hmm i want to see how it's going to change things and change him are there any final thoughts as we wrap this up and um, give it your rating out of five for what you've watched thus far? Dan, having watched the full season out of five stars, what do you give it? I'm giving it a five. I loved every second of it. Yeah, I'm not as sold on the dad storyline as a lot of people are, but Mariah and Shades and their, sto- uh, their story and you know Bushmaster stuff – and then Luke and missed like I'm, I'm basically just naming characters at this point. But the the storylines for each and every one of them are so good that it doesn't even matter. Um, this is taking the throne of the best Marvel Netflix season out of all of them, and I don't take that I don't say that lightly because Jessica Jones season one was so good. Uh, yes. Luke Cage season one, so good. Um, you know, I parts of Daredevil, I'm kind of like, 
okay, this this was good, this was good, like, but... Daredevil season one was really good for me. Season two was... I, I I just I, I feel as though because we had those swings and misses with Jessica Jones season two and Iron Fist that it's it really like having something this good really helps overall salvage the world that they are building within the context of because. I mean, they're still referencing Avengers things in this. You know, they're talking about the Judas bullets and how Luke Cage would do fighting the big green monster. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, please, please don't stop referencing these things. You're going to make things worse. And suddenly I'm going to wish you guys were in the movies. Also, oh no. Um, But overall, I loved every second of this. Mariah Dillard, so good. Mariah Dillard Stokes, so good. Shades is incredible. And Comanche, you know. Hey, shout out to Comanche. Mo, out of five for what you've watched? I'm giving it a a four point five out of out of what I've watched. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to finishing finishing this show off and 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 i think there's a lot of rewatchability with uh this show as well i i just can't wait to to uh watch those final episodes now regarding the father storyline with uh the jane the pastor james lucas storyline uh first off i, w- I want to give a shout out to uh reggie kathy unfortunately yes r.i.p fortunately he passed away earlier this year you know i'm glad how dare you dan how dare (laughs) you hey hey, he was fantastic it's just i wasn't after watching the diamondback stuff last year them bringing him in i'm like i don't I, i you know the whole redemption angle i was just kind of not into because we just went through like the attempted redemption of a parent in Jessica Jones and that didn't go well. So I was very, very nervous. You know what I mean? It's ironic that you did say fantastic Dan, because you know, his, I think his care, his, his father figure in Luke Cage is much more memorable than the father figure he played in that Josh Trank fantastic four movie that Fox put out. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that, and, and that note, he will be remembered as a as a uh, in a much better uh, Marvel uh, show or series or film or whatever project than he for Luke Cage as opposed to Fantastic Four. But I do I think it's interesting that they did they did spend a lot of time looking into his Luke Cage's relationship with his father because remember last season a lot of it was about his father figure pops and so this season we're getting a lot about his biological father after he learned about you know the mistakes his father his biological father made in the first season just to kind of bring it full circle and for Luke to um you know try to come to terms come to terms with his father um and, and deal with, you know, his father's mistakes and learning that his father's human and that, that, you know, again, sometimes people make the, try to do the right thing, but end up causing a lot of damage and that, you know, people we look up to often have feet of clay. And I, I think the best episode was the scenes and when um, Piranha and Luke were talking about their, their, their biological fathers 
and how much influence they've they had and had on one another. And I think that's that highlights how important this sort of subplot is in the second season to Luke's overall character arc. So I think it was a necessary uh, plot. And I, I think based on what I've seen, I think they're certainly handling this this parental arc. Uh, Luke Cage's parental arc is being handled much more effectively than the one in Jessica Jones. Before we get to Mel's uh, rating, you mentioned Kingpin, and all of a sudden I had this most amazing flash of, I need to see this. I really would love Vincent D'Onofrio to return as the Kingpin and try and come for Luke Cage. And then rather than us have a Danny Rand and Luke Cage team up, have a season arc of Daredevil and Luke Cage teamed up against Kingpin. I love Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. I love Alfred Woodard as Mariah, and I love Madame Gao. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm cheering for them as much as I'm cheering for the heroes. Mel, I'm, what is your rating for what you've watched this far and any other final thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go 4.5 out of 5 just because I haven't seen all of it yet, so I don't want to make a whole, you know five yet but so far so good on the season i'm interested to see luke's change because you can see it happening mariah stilks as she says um is amazing alfred woodard i just am ready to watch the rest of the season i'm giving it five out of five as well i thoroughly enjoyed it as i said at the beginning this season is probably my second favorite season of the marvel cinematic universe after Daredevil Season 1. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We would love to hear your comments on the episode at geekconfidential.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. You, um, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. You can find me on Twitter at Luke underscore Kerr. Melody is at Melody Akles. Mo is at Dr. Mo 77 And Dan is at Real Dan Pierce. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, y'all.